Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And in place. Because this is Snakebird. Snake welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Our discussion today is all about eschatology, better known as the theology concerned with what will be the ultimate destiny of humanity. We're looking at current events and holding them up to the filter of God's Word and seeing how they align. This should be an easy topic to cover quickly and concisely, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah oh yeah. This is really not that deep. No, no. Five-minute five minute episode, we should be right out. <laughs> <laughs> Little sarcasm in case you didn't catch that snake words. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, uh, well, we titled this episode, Are We in the End Times? And, of course, the obvious answer is, well... Yes. Yeah. Okay, program's over. Let's go yeah. home. Dunsky. <laughs> but I think another appropriate question is, how close are we to the beginning of the end? Because America feels like a ticking time bomb right now, and I think it's a perfect time to address this topic as we look at what's going on around us. We see in Acts chapter 2, Peter says that we're living in the last days as he quotes Joel chapter 2, and then even 1 John 2 is talking about living in the last hour. And I wanted to say this about eschatology if you're going, what does that even mean? So let me give you a little bit of a further uh, drill down on the definition of it. So eschatology is not simply what happens in the future at the end of the age, but since Christ the Messiah expected for the end of the age has come and has broken into the present age and brought the kingdom of God to the present, he brought the future into the present so that all of life is eschatological. Oh my gosh, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. That's a tough one. It, it, you had to train me on it three times now. Uh, pronunciations. <laughs> the future is here because the present participates in the already of the kingdom but also the not yet of the consummation. And so what all that means is that we're seeing uh, a lot of, I think you said it earlier in the week, a lot of um, already, but, but not, not yet. yet. Yes. Yeah. So, it, we'll see a lot of that. It's all through scripture too. Yeah. And it's so, it's intriguing. Yeah. It's this weird parallel of like, oh, okay, you can, you could almost teach the book of Revelation as like some of it has already happened. And then yet, of course, you know, a lot of it's yet to come. And uh, I was studying, I don't know if you've done a lot about preterists, which believe that all of Revelation already took place in like 70 AD. Yeah. And that view was pretty wild. Yeah, there's a lot of different angles. And the, the presentations can be uh, persuading at times, but it's, uh, man, it's it's a doozy of a topic. It gets deep. Yes. And uh, just as a side note of this presentation, we don't want to necessarily just blow anybody's theology out of the water, especially if it's biblical. If it's not biblical, then we're going to take some shots at you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's there's a lot of ground to stand on here, and not everyone can say they know 100% assured that it's this way or that way. And so I have my own personal beliefs and Stephen has his own beliefs and we'll probably present them at times with a little bit of that slant, but we're not trying to necessarily exclude anyone. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the, the awesome thing about hindsight is we can look back and say, oh yeah, prophecy fulfilled this way. But this eschatology, I mean, a lot, some of this is in the future, just hasn't happened yet. And just like Jesus first coming, there was a lot of stuff that was guessed on that wasn't right. I think there could be some of that, you know, in the end times too. So our, our goal here is not to push down a certain angle of doctrine or anything, just just what's in the Bible, you know, yeah. the best we can. Absolutely. And when we talk about end times, we kind of realize that the Bible has a lot to say about it because from the time that Jesus died and rose again, all the disciples have been waiting for his return and that bringing of the end times. And uh, they have that firm belief that it could be at any moment. I mean, even Paul presented it that way. Peter presented it that way. John, the apostle, presented it that way. And some even felt that Jesus actually said he would return before John died when he said in John 21, 22, and 23, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And then John goes on to say this because he's the one writing this passage. He said, then this saying went out among the brethren, that this disciple would not die. 
And then he clarifies because he goes, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? He's like, yeah, it's none of your business. Exactly. And that, but he was like, no, let me clear this up because. Yeah. <laughs> I love Jesus's question with a question. <laughs> he did that so often. He did. Yeah. But so well. So, so well placed. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you question me with a question? But he, oh my gosh, so many times the Pharisees, they came and they trapped him. And the only way for him to get out of it was to be God and be like, I know better than you. So, yeah. and so many encouragements in the Bible are about Jesus coming soon. And I believe that, that, that expectancy should never be lost in any generation, whether it's all the way back, um, just beginning in the new Testament where Paul's like, he's coming you know, now, 2,000 years later, where we should still have that on our lips going, today yeah. could be the day. And in fact, I pray that this podcast has us hyped up for his return because it really could be today. Yeah. And I was talking about this just before we started recording. For for people every day, this is that day where they're getting called home. That's true. Yeah. That You know, I've, I've heard someone say once that Jesus is coming in in a hundred years for me, regardless, because I'm going to die soon. You know, I'm not going to get past a hundred. Yeah. And so we all have to remember that uh, whether you think Jesus is coming back soon or not, you're going to see him pretty soon because you're not going to live forever. That's right. And um, yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to share this and I don't know how you feel about this, but some of the reasons that my hope or even we could collectively say that our hope for the return of Jesus has maybe struggled or regressed is because of sometimes how people represent him or what they've said. And and again, um, I don't know if you grew up with this, but I remember people doing rapture practice. They were jumping up serious? and down. Yes. Like, yeah. like a doomsday prepper doing like a bug out routine? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were going outside and leaping in the air. Oh goodness! Yeah, and and again, no, I never saw that. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to mock people's faith because that's real. That's big faith. Going, I'm going to jump up and I'm not going to land. You know, because they they're pre-trib. And again, I I know we said that there are people that believe when one stands in another, and we're not going to necessarily you know fault anyone or say that this is the way we have to believe. But I always thought, man, that's that's wild. It is, yeah. And so you have that. And then there's another one is somebody wrote a book called 88 Reasons that Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Yep. I've heard of that. Yeah. And they had some compelling reasons. One of them was we'll talk about Israel coming back as as a nation. And Jesus said, this generation will not pass. And so they went and they said, oh, I think a generation is 40 years. And 1948 to 1988, 40 years. And they were like, it has to be. Until he did 89. Remember that? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And then he ramped it up and he doubled down. Yeah. Which we'll see another individual did that as well. Remember Harold Camping? I've heard of him. He had that really bold belief that Jesus was going to come back on May 21st of 2011. Mm -hmm. And, And we're in 2020 now. Yeah. You know, and that's... It's one of those things that that Jesus tells us no one knows the day or the hour, mm-hmm. but yet He gives us things to look for and striking that balance between them. That's that's and we're going to get into it as we get into some of these verses. Yes, there is a verse that gives a really good context to that. Um, and then you had 2012 in the Mayan calendar, and everybody was like, "Oh, they knew something." Yeah, the Rock even <laughs> played a part in, in a movie that was going to depict that prophecy. <laughs> yeah, John Cusack, and they had the arcs, and man, they yeah, exactly. And um, some people say, I don't know if you've heard this, but they were like, they ran out of room. That's why they stopped at 2012. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's actually what happened. <laughs> I think so too, because here we are again, eight years later, still still yeah. going. Um, I remember there was a book that a friend of mine was reading. It was from a Christian numerologist, and it was about why Jesus was going to come back in 2007. And then, of course, it didn't happen. And he came back later and said, oh, I missed something. It's supposed to be in 2008. And he had all these numbers and he had all these things figured out according to the calendar, the the Jewish calendar, the 360-day calendar. 
And it had some compelling things. Like you said, some of these presentations are very compelling. He wanted, he, he believed that um, Jesus was going to come back during Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, and yeah. at the last trumpet, you know, and yet here we are again, 12 years later, and that hasn't happened. And then even the other day, somebody said, hey, check out this video. And it was this internet prophet. And he was like, God gave me a vision. And I just want you to know that we need to brace brace you know and i'm like okay yeah the world is going through a tough time of course we do and so for me that's why at times i feel like my hope is soured or even i struggle with it but when we get back into seeing how some of these things are wrong and we get discouraged we have to take a step back and take stock of the grand scale prophecies that have taken place and just be awestruck with what god has done I mentioned it earlier, one of the biggest prophecies that has come true and has come to pass now is in 1948 when Israel reformed as a nation, you know, and there's that uh, awesome prophecy from Ezekiel 37, where he said, prophesy over these dry bones. Yeah. That, and that, man, what a fascinating, I mean, event. Uh Uh-huh. Insanely cool. Yeah. And there's now the Lauren Daigle song. And a lot of people have Uh now started putting that passage into music. And I just, I think it's really cool. And and we've seen so many things. And so um, we've said it before, but no matter what our eschatological, hey, I said it, view (laughs) of how things will unfold, we feel like what is going on now is a sign of the end times being near. Yeah. And hopefully at the end of today's episode, you can say, just like R.E.M. so eloquently put it, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Oh, man. I love that song in Independence Day. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, and uh, I guess one of the first places people go, Josh, is um, Matthew 24, isn't it? It is. It's it's one of the greatest texts that you can find as a layout for the end times. It is. Should we just jump into it? Let's do this thing. Okay, so... Matthew chapter 24, and this is what's been called the Olivet Discourse, primarily because of the location in which these teachings were had, the Mount of Olives. Oh, and I thought it was because he was laying out all of it. Very clever. Sorry. Very clever. That was the worst pun I've done. <laughs> Josh, on this Josh podcast. was he was he was prepping his joke and he was looking at me weird and I was like, is this not the all of that discourse? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! I okay. was sitting there like, is he gonna let me tell this one? He was prepping a dad joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I was right. The Olivet Discourse yes, exactly. on the yeah. Mountain of Olives. And the scene is uh, Jesus and his disciples are coming out of the temple. And as they're walking away, uh, the disciples look back at the composition of the temple and its buildings. And they point out the grandeur of these structures, at which point Jesus lets them in on a little secret in verse 2 of Matthew 24. And he says, not one stone will remain on the other. Basically saying it's going bye-bye. Yeah. The temple, this, I mean, treasured building Mm -hmm. to the Jews. And um, eventually they get to the Mount of Olives where Jesus' disciples have just been chewing on this statement that Jesus made. And they finally ask him in verse 3, they say, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And this is where there's some debate because some say that the Olivet Discourse was to the Jews alone that Jesus' ministry was to the Jews and everything he said in Matthew 24 was to be fulfilled in relation to that generation of Jewish people. That generation, because as Josh mentioned earlier in verse 34, it says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. But as we get to studying this, we're going to see that there's there's a lot to consider here. However, because of verse 3, the initial questions asked by the disciples Many other commentators agree that Jesus is painting a much broader picture because there seems to be three very obvious questions asked when I read it. Um, When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Does that that sound like what's going on to you, Josh? It does. It really does, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's pretty obvious to me, but some some think it's all one question. Anyway, um, Jesus, as we already know, oftentimes he speaks in mysteries to those who have ears. We've heard him say that in his teachings. So to say that Jesus was limited to uh, who and when he was speaking is is a little much for me. We do know that Jesus' first coming was first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. 
but this transitional period was a merging of black and white. Not people, folks. I had to <laughs> say that because of the day and age we live in. But it's always in the gray areas where um, people will draw their lines and die on their hills and start to argue. Exactly. So I figured I'd just mention that jumping into this. There's, there seems to be three questions asked here. And... Um, I personally read Matthew 24 in that light, which would be an understanding that Jesus' teachings cannot be boxed, because remember, he's the ultimate snake bird, and his teachings are a direct reflection of that nature. So as I read Matthew 24, I see some things that relate to the Jews alone, but other areas where it's very obvious he's addressing other things to come. And John Corson, a commentator that I very much respect, lays out three um, separated portions of prophecy, which would make sense because of the three questions that seem to be asked. Mm -hmm. um, the verse 1 through 14 speaks of the end times in relation to the nations. Verse 15 through 36 speak of them in relation to Israel specifically. And verses 37 through 42 speak of them in relation to the church. That's what Corson lays out. And I can't say that I fully agree with the exact verses where Corson believes these portions are separated, but I do believe that there are three portions. That's funny because I have three portions as well, but they're not the same verses. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, see there, we're thinking people. We're, we're Bereans, right? Yes. Well, it's so funny because like as we were doing this study, I have it laid out and I think I even took a picture of it and sent it to you. I'm like, well, this is what I have in my Bible. And as I've been studying this, all of a sudden I'm like, maybe my breakdown's not right. And so I'm like, but it's in my Bible. I don't want to scratch it out. <laughs> it was put there by me earlier. Yeah. Maybe I have grown since I last studied this. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, that's a good thing to take note, listener, is there's people that we, me and Josh, greatly respect. And we sometimes we come up to God's word, his living word word and you know it can't be boxed and mm -hmm. we have to read it for for what it's saying and sometimes there's different angles to be had and that, that's why we're here snake bird so exactly yeah so um josh do you want to do you want to take uh, the first portion or, or start us off in it at all yeah i i just have a couple of things i wanted to point out about that first portion and one of these is i just a pastor that i really respect um, he did a teaching on Matthew 24 and it's always stuck with me. It's one of those things where you're thankful for your memory, kind of bringing back, um, those things that you're like, Oh, I, I don't remember a lot of sermons, but this one for some reason stuck with me. And it's really Jesus's first words right out of the gate in verse four is, uh, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the first thing that Jesus says is watch out that no one deceives you. Yeah, And I mean, for me, that's like the carte blanche of the end times is an attempt to deceive of deception. And that's one of the first signs that we are in the end times. And we see that, I mean, we're probably going to need to do a snake bird on this because yeah. here comes another one about false teachers and how they're woven throughout history in scripture and what they're attempting to do now. Because we see even when Paul says, you know, perilous times will come when men will be lovers of themselves. And mm -hmm. Peter dedicates almost the whole uh, book of Second Peter talking just about apostate teachers. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, the first words out of Jesus' mouth is, before we get into this, don't be deceived. Yes, because a lot of people are going to come saying that I am the Christ and all of these, you know, and yeah. he's like, do not be pulled away by their words. Yeah, great and point. So, and then, um, okay, I, it's for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and deceive many and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And I wanted the other place to kind of uh, dwell on in terms of this first portion is that word pestilence uh, in the Greek is loimos. And it means a pest or a pestilence or a plague. And a lot of people have asked, is COVID in the Bible? Is coronavirus in the Bible? And if you're asking, this could be a loose interpretation of a plague yeah. that's come up. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's it's in there. Mm -hmm. It's a puzzle piece. Yeah. And it's part of it. It's gonna be our it's gonna be are we gonna hit we're gonna do that as a fast track question at the last, yes, aren't we, Josh? We are. We okay, are I didn't too, know if yeah. we were getting into it here. No, we're gonna we're gonna do both. So let's just 
push right past this. Um, I wanted to mention in verse eight, it says all of these are the beginning of birth pangs. And I bet you have some things to say about this. I just wanted to say that from the time that creation was basically fractured from the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world, that creation has been groaning and it wants to return to the way things were when God set up this perfect kingdom, his perfect creation. And Jesus gives the illustration that creation is actually having these birth pangs, these contractions. And um, the we actually have this term called Braxton Hicks, where it's like a woman is almost in labor, but she she kind of feels it early on. And, yes. and to me, that's where we're at. That's I mean, they're just going to become more intense and more frequent until Jesus returns. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I even think back to the verses six and seven there, the, the wars, rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, um, various places, famines, earthquakes, all of these things that Jesus just mentioned. He follows it up in verse eight by saying um, he places them basically in an abstract timeline by mentioning birth pangs, mm-hmm. which is like you already said, contractions. Um, a pulsating, if you will, starting small and then at each climax returning back down before coming even more intense until the big moment comes. And um, this is what we kind of mentioned earlier, the already but not yet. Mm-hmm. So it's it's moving forward. It's kind of like a, um, a two steps forward, one step back. And it's just edging closer and closer, yeah. inching towards the end times. It's kind of like a small prophetic window that travels back and forth on the timeline, um, allowing us to see the pulse of prophecy. Um, so when we see of, of wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, famines, uh, we can look back in history. We can see the slow progression into what we are now in the midst of mm-hmm. in all of this, um, especially in verses like verse 12, because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. Mm-hmm. I mean, man. What a verse for right now. We see it. If I've ever seen people's love growing cold, now I, I, I'm a student of history. I, I know the harsh times and things that have happened in history. But the common man's love is growing colder, I think, than yeah. I've, I've... I mean, I know every generation could probably see a bit of this. I think we can all agree things are changing at a faster pace more and more even now. Well, that's because we are becoming more like Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. We're becoming lawless and we're becoming evil. You know, say what you will about our founding fathers. Even they moved to America to have a, f- a freedom of faith. Like yeah. They wanted to pursue God and they're not perfect by any means. Yeah, and no, of and course. That, that is being shined a lot of light on right now uh, in what we're going through in society. But almost to a degree of the last 2000 years, you see faith as evidenced as part of their lives. And now it's becoming less and less. And, and you're right. Many will turn away from the faith for love will grow cold. Mm -hmm. That's, that's happened. I, I even the other day, and I don't. I don't want it to sound like I'm holier than thou, because I have my moments where my love grows cold. That I have, mm-hmm. I've not guarded my heart, and and it shows that I wasn't abiding very well that week because I've seen myself in these situations. But I, I heard a brother the other day that he said, uh, you know, this this. Um, uh, what the, what's the word? Quarantine, yeah. quarantine <laughs> stuff. You know, social distancing. He said it, it doesn't really affect me because I really hate people. Oh wow! And he's a brother and. And it, it just made me think of that verse instantly. Love growing cold. Mm-hmm. Just, ah, I can't stand people. Yeah. You know? and, and not not that I'm pointing fingers and stuff, because like I said, I, I struggle with, with um, you should turn your blinker on, you know? I mean, it just, it gets you, get you sometimes. But... What, are you, what are you doing? Get out of that lane, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my voice, I, get, I drive and my voice gets higher as I get more frustrated. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> oh, that just it made me think of Seinfeld for some reason just now. <laughs> that, that, the high talker. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, love growing cold, and we're seeing it um, with, with greater intensity, I think, yeah. as time moves. Uh, so you just reminded me, uh, verse 14, and it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I didn't know if you've heard this because one pastor I was reading talked about this theology that every single soul on the face of the earth has to hear the gospel before um, the end can take place. I have heard that. Okay. So, I mean, to a degree, I've heard that too because I thought, oh man, you know, we got to get out there. And that's the driving force of some missionaries is like, I have to get to this 
remote region of the world to tell people about Jesus in order for the end to happen. And and this commentator was saying that lay off that a little bit because that's probably not the complete context of what it means. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely different angles. And I mean, hey, there's sometimes I think that that if somebody finds their zeal in a verse that really speaks to them, mm-hmm. and that's what pushes them to the, across the world to a tribe, uh, I'm not saying it, it, it cling to bad doctrine if it does you good. No, but you know I, what I mean. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. But no, I, I get, I have heard that, and I've heard it all the way the other way too. And yeah. I, and I chew on both. Yeah. No, I agree. I, this is one of those things where you just can kind of bat it back and forth in your yeah. mind, going, okay, because. In essence, the gospel needs to be preached to even the remote tribe, you know, yeah. in, the, in the wilderness or, or wherever they're at. As you always say, the pygmies in Africa, where there's not even pygmies in Africa. Yeah, but yeah. they live somewhere else. So. <laughs> Indigenous. <laughs> Which made me think of, okay, this is, this, is, this is right for you right here. Have you seen these drones that they're able to fly over remote areas that um, just fly for days on end? And are able to provide Wi-Fi or cellular service. I, I've heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Okay. We were we were somewhere and we got to see a presentation on them, and it's it's cool. But in the context of like end time stuff, you're like, oh, that's the whole world. Yeah, because <laughs> kind of... yeah, now these remote locations where they didn't have connectivity because of these these drones that are flying virtually either battery powered or at very little and fuel they can spell stuff out in the sky and stuff <laughs> I, I didn't think about that <laughs> but that's big preaching the gospel with drones but it's it's like you can't reach these places with cell phone towers because yeah. there's no electricity or or uh, structural I guess, you know, infrastructure. Yes. But you can fly a drone over them for, and they're, I think they're even, um, remote, you know, they're not remote controlled, but they're, uh, robotically controlled to where they just, they have a flight pattern that they just keep. So it's not necessarily anybody just manning them. Yeah. That's intriguing. Yeah. And I just, something just popped in my head. What, what verse did you just quote about the whole world? Uh, Uh, Verse 14. 14. Okay, yeah. So I heard one scholar talking about, I think it was in Romans 10, where Paul is saying, uh, how can they not hear if they don't have a preacher and Mm -hmm. all this stuff? And he says, but yet it has gone into the whole world. Uh He says that, and he says he can't prove it. This scholar that I was listening to, he says, but but there are some that believe that the constellation spelled it out. Oh, wow. And that's how people heard about it. Because you even have a little flavor of that with the the star that the Magi followed and stuff. Yeah. So constellations. So, yeah, there's it's, it's interesting, the angles. Yeah. But uh, not not that I'm on board with that, but I, it did make me scratch my head and chew on it. No. Yeah, exactly. This is all... Just to me, it's all fascinating. Yeah, I just I have drones like four times in my notes, and this is the first instance. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I had to put it in all caps. Drones, it's happening. <laughs> That's great. So um, we, I know we went to fourteen. I'm gonna back us up to nine. Okay. If that's cool. Yeah, please. So um, because I, I want to push on the the all, already but not yet a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so they they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Um, Verse 9 here is a perfect example of an already but not yet scripture because it's a domino in front of another already but not yet scripture in Daniel 7.21, but it's behind another already but not yet scripture in Revelation 17.3-8. And what we see through this kind of prophecy is, is, like I said, a one step back and a two steps up. How believers will experience tribulation in regard to the nations. And we know that intense persecution is something that, that happened in the first century A.D. through Nero and Domitian. But by the time the ultimate Antichrist shows up, the intensity of hatred for believers will be much greater. Mm-hmm. And even I, I even think about this. The spirit of the Antichrist from 2,000 years ago has been building as these contractions grow more frequent with intensity. And just to illustrate that with those previous scriptures, Daniel 7.21 is referring primarily to a man named Domitian. Um, Some would say Nero, but as we fast forward to Revelation 17, we see the hindsight of Daniel 7 and another window into the future abyss. And one thing in verses 12 and 13 of Revelation 17 says this, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. 
These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. So think of scriptures for believers in places like 1 Corinthians 2.16, where it says we have the mind of Christ. Well, Revelation 17.13 shows us that the Antichrist will have a similar relationship with his followers. And this can be seen in verses like Ephesians 2.2, where it speaks of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And other scriptures kind of speak to that same idea too, like 1 John 4, 2 Thessalonians 2. And so in Matthew 24... 1 through 14, Jesus answers just one of his apostles' questions with an answer, looking back through all that prophecy that's still being dissected today. And I think that is really, that's just, that's classic Jesus. Even from 2,000 years ago, we're still chewing on all of that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's, I bring a lot of that up to, to, to show the already but not yet. Yeah. Which we're coming up to another one of those real soon. Oh, they're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They really are. Yeah. Okay, so um, that's that's all I got for the first portion of um, which was to the nations. Yeah, supposedly De- debatable to, where the verse ended. I wanted to mention <laughs> um, actually a verse like this talking about persecution is where we get the sister scripture for snakebird. Yes, because Jesus is talking about persecution. You know, they will deliver you up, and behold, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Yeah. And he goes on to say, like just. Don't don't think that you have to have an answer when you appear before the ruler because I am going to come and speak through you. So I just, yeah. as we talk about persecution, I always am reminded that, hey, that's where we got the concept of a snake bird. Great, great point. So Fantastic, yeah. yeah. So section two, right? Yeah, section two. Verses 15 through 36 um, speak of um, the end times in relation to Israel specifically. And there's some gray area verses possibly in there. Um, starting off, two of the most obvious red flags um, that, that these verses are speaking to Israel and the Jews specifically is verses 16 and 20. Verse 16 refers to those in Judea, and 20 mentions the Sabbath as a factor in regard to how smoothly people will be able to escape this end-time language. So if this portion was referring to the end times for the world, then the instructions for how to survive wouldn't focus on the transit routine of a 30 by 50 mile portion of land. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's how big Judea is. So, and the Sabbath would only affect that area as well. So it's pretty clear. um, I think that Jesus is referring to the chosen Jewish people there in that region. And, um, I would say let's look at some of this this end time prophecy, which which has already taken place. Some of it, mm-hmm. and and that's and see that's the thing because I wonder sometimes in these prophecies what has jumped ahead because it, it almost has a flavor of it. Each of these portions that Jesus looks into, he takes it from the beginning to the end on each portion. Mm-hmm. Does he? It feels like that. It feels like it. it did to me. But then I mean, the commentators they have all their spins. But yeah. I mean, when you look at like verse 15, which is one of the verses that I was saying that you said it's already, but not yet. Yeah. I mean, well, I feel I should mention it because we just went through from beginning to regard to the nations to the very end. And now we're starting back to AD uh-huh. one yeah. and we're going again. So yeah. I, I just mentioned it so the listener can get this idea that we're going back and already, but yeah. not yet. Yeah. Anyway, the abomination of desolation that Jesus refers to in this portion um, is a reference to the prophecies of Daniel. And this is a debated topic among some because of how uh, people prefer to set up their timelines. And if you've dabbled in prophecy even a little bit, you've likely heard the exact timelines that people teach as gospel truth. But the truth of the matter is there are unknown gray areas that cannot and will not be explained until the end result happens. And I'm a diehard already, but not yetter. Because that's the template I, I see through God's Word, through typologies, Christophanies, birth pangs. Um, all throughout Scripture, God's letting us see just enough to know, but keeping just enough back so that we can exercise the faith needed to uh, keep abiding. So with that being my two cents intro into the abomination of desolation, I would say that the abomination of desolation has been building and will continue to build until merging into that final Antichrist. But... There's three contenders that were pretty popular among the interwebs that I found. <laughs> Do you want to say any or you want me to keep going you here? You keep going. Okay. So the, the three biggies that I saw was Antiochus Epiphanes, who offered a pig as a sacrifice in the temple after conquering the Jews uh, between 168 and 165 B.C., mm-hmm. 
Um, some say that this abomination of desolation is a future Antichrist figure to come. And some say that it would be Titus in 70 AD based on the descriptions in Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, 14, and Luke 21, 20. I say all three. Yeah. I say it's all three. Remember, the spirit of the Antichrist is floating from generation to generation. It's not surprising for me to see uh, confirmation in Antiochus, Titus, and a future abomination to come. Yeah. It makes it makes sense to me that it would be all three and intensifying. Mm-hmm. So um, given the fact that Antiochus was before Jesus and everything else in verse 15 uh, through 36 speak uh, primarily specific to the Jews alone, uh, I believe that it makes the most sense that Jesus is warning of the next abomination of desolation in the line, which um, would be the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Mm -hmm. So I see in this portion Titus. Would you, I, you want to, you take it, Josh. Yeah. Give us your thoughts. Okay. Well, first and foremost, do you want me to break your brain? Do it. Because David Jeremiah was teaching about this and he kept going, Antiochus Epiphanes. And I was like, it's Antiochus. <laughs> you didn't Antiochus. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, uh, at first I thought you said Titus Epiphanes. No, Antiochus. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. And I, I Anyway, I'm like, it's one of those biblical pronunciations that just becomes a preference. And you're like, I've always heard Antiochus. Yeah. And then you're like, Antiochus. And you're Okay, maybe that's cool because it's he's David Jeremiah, Doctor David. You know, it's funny so, when you hear like a scholar say it way differently than you've ever heard yeah. it. So you're talking about the spirit of Antichrist, and what is so not neat necessarily because of how vicious they were and what the the things that they did. But you talk about um, Haman, yeah. You talk about him being an Agagite, and that was who Israel was supposed to destroy. And then Haman, he, back in the book of Esther, wanted to wipe out the Jewish nation, and he came very, very close. Yeah. And so that's the spirit of Antichrist. And yeah. then you got, like you said, Antiochus, Antiochus. Yeah. And you have Titus. And then, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you took it back to the Old Testament because th that's a great point. I mean, this goes back that far. Uh huh. And then it comes it further. It comes forward to 1940 with a gentleman named Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. If you've heard of him, was a tool in the hands of the devil trying to wipe out the Israeli people, the Jewish people. Yeah. And I think that spirit of Antichrist has always existed. It just keeps going, like you said. Yeah. If if the spirit of Jesus is going from generation to generation, then the spirit of Antichrist is as well. And I, I think it really speaks to the supernatural realm. I mean, we're talking, guys, here about, uh, just put it lightly, a form of demonic possession, mm -hmm. a spirit that you've allowed in you by choice, and um, of the Antichrist. And it's been floating, like you said, from, in, in, from the Old Testament all the way. Hitler. Yeah. Hitler. Yeah. And, and I have subscribed to a lot of like Daniel's uh, 70th week and, and the midway point of the tribulation, which, you know, the abomination of the desolation and the whole peace treaty. I, I am a firm uh, subscriber or believer in that. And so, but I think it's so neat that we can point to the already and then look forward to the not yet. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So, um, just jumping back for a second, the, one of the questions I have is this. Um, while the rest of this portion is to God's Jewish people, Israel, um, or a portion of this portion, um, where does it all fit in the timeline? Because we have verses like 16 through 22, which could easily place them at the time of Titus um, when he sacked the temple, because people are fleeing Judea, pray it's not the Sabbath, people are being slaughtered. But then we have some other verses that make me think of perhaps a later chronology. Uh, to me, it seems like another... Um, multi-tiered prophecy that travels in time because verses 23 through 26 Jesus makes sure that they know that his second coming will be very obvious and to steer clear of the false messiahs now starting in verse 29 it seems to me that Jesus is starting to transition into a new like a Jew and Gentile prophetic train of thought uh, I know that some commentators look to verse 37 as the turning point where Jesus refers to the church, but I, I don't see it. It cuts in the middle of a single point being made. And so I, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not a scholar, but <laughs> it's what I'm seeing when I read. But verse 29 through the rest of the chapter reads to me like Jesus is including different windows of insight along the timeline, which are relevant to the whole world. 
Um, Some have already happened, some have yet to come. But in verse 29, he says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, I can't help but think of the evidence we presented in our episode, Is Jesus a Legend?, where we saw that a historian by the name of Thallus who just so happened to live around the time of Christ, is quoted to have said, On the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think of that, and I'm like, could that be relevant to Matthew 24? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it sounds very similar to it. And so, as I'm considering the timelines, you know, I, I put all this together in my head. But oftentimes we see in Scripture that prophecy is revealed along the timeline, and that's what I'm seeing in Matthew 24 here. Yeah, and to pick up where you were talking about, especially with these three sections, I thought it was really interesting and just a good observation that you were talking about how Jesus, in speaking um, first to the nations, he starts and he goes, let's start at the beginning and let's kind of fast forward to the end. And then now here, speaking to the nation of Israel, again, there's those windows where he says, let's start at the beginning and then let's run forward to the end. And and I still believe that there are those parallel prophecies where one thing can mean like, hey, this is what's happening here. And then it's also going to happen then. Yeah. And the earth growing dark, like Joel was saying, I mean, you you continue that prophecy and it's like old men shall dream dreams and young men shall see visions. Yeah. The already but not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's happening. And yet, yeah. That's still going to happen then. It's going to happen again. It's going to be bigger. Yeah, (laughs) much. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's a good observation that I made. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, I am a scholar. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that didn't come out right. (laughs) No, I like it. I'm leaving it in. Oh, mercy. Well, that's all I've got um, up until verse 34. If there's anything else you wanted to add, Josh. I do want to say, again, we're not trying to get into this as like, this is my belief. But if you look at verse 31 and you're saying, this is evidence of a pre-tribulation rapture. This is not a good verse for that. Uh, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. That is not the trumpet that we talk about. And it's not the trumpets that he's using in Revelation either as the the trumpets that he's blowing. So I've heard that. I've heard that. There's a, a, diff, a difference in trumpets that yes. needs to be had. And the snake bird, possibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the trumpets of snake bird. So yeah. yeah, if you're listening and you're like, don't say another one, we will be bringing you the trumpets of snake bird at some point. Just stay with us. Yeah. So, um, verse 34, Josh, you ready to jump into this one? Uh, So ready. Okay. So this is, you probably heard this one before. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And it's because of this verse that some would say that everything from verse 15 to here, uh, verse 34, is directly to Israel. And I want to go ahead and say, I'm okay with that. Um, that very well may be. But there are also others who say that when Jesus says this generation, he's referring to the generation that witnesses those things. I'm okay with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, uh, it doesn't really matter to me. It's kind of like back in first 5 when Jesus said, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Would that be first person or third person? Mm-hmm. Some people say one, some people say the other. I've actually heard difference on that. I believe the message gets across either way. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes no difference to me. While it's important to rightly divide the Word of God, it's also very important to get the message rather than the letter of the law. Because remember, the Pharisees tried to rightly divide God's Word so carefully that they missed the actual points being made in the very Scriptures they knew so well. And so I've reached a point in my walk, and in case you haven't picked up on this in other episodes, uh, Josh believes in the pre-tribulation rapture. Mm-hmm. If you're okay with me just oh, coming out and saying How it. dare you say that <laughs> yeah. about me? <laughs> no. I don't disbelieve in it, but I don't say that's what I believe is going to happen for sure. I'm one of those who um, I see several angles that could be possibilities. And so I've reached a point in my walk where... When I come across something in one of these gray areas, I simply say, Lord, whatever ends up happening, I'm okay with that. I'm just going to do my best to keep my eyes on you. And when that time comes, whatever it brings, I will continue in your strength. Mm. And so 
if that stuff comes up, you know, I have kind of a waiting for further information folder in my mind, sure, yeah. you know, and that builds as we grow. So and me and Josh, we're brothers and we get along fine Yeah, and we don't agree on certain things and it's okay because we're brothers in Christ. So we just, we, I wanted to point that out. So, um, wait, you don't believe in preacher. No, I'm just, oh, you didn't I ever connect the dots. I can't even keep the straight face. <laughs> well, the beautiful thing is that we can talk about it and we can talk about why why I believe what I believe or why you struggle with what, or what you see and not necessarily struggle. That sounds like <laughs> my belief in your struggles. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. <laughs> and your shortcomings of faith. No, uh, but I see it from your angle. And at times I go, okay, I understand too, because what I believe is that God is in control and I don't think he's going to allow us to go through the tribulation. And that's why I believe in pre-tribulation. But yeah. And, I I, also, and I've also pointed out that I think trib is different than wrath. Yes. So, and we both serve God in our own ways, you and yeah. yours and mine his. <laughs> <laughs> you and your uh, weak way, you know. <laughs> and now that you've spoken about pre-tribulation rapture, let me put this out there. Um, I just, when you go back to review some of these verses for Israel, and I, I, I'm not hammering down on this because of anything. I just think it's interesting that when you talk about Daniel's 70th week, if you view it from a pre-tribulation rapture standpoint, that things are going to get awfully ugly at the midway point of the tribulation when he does reveal who he is to everyone and kind of, you know, if they rebuild the temple, which a lot of people are saying they're gearing up to do, Mm -hmm. and he does slaughter a pig in there, which would be one of the greatest offenses you could ever do in a holy temple dedicated to God, then the Israeli people are going to flee. And I just wanted to mention um, Petra. Have you done a lot of research or do you know a lot about Petra? I mean, yeah, I've, I've looked into it. I don't know specifically about what you were going to point out. Okay, but... I thought you were going to say, yeah, I've watched, uh, you know, The Last Crusade, <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones. But no, I just, it's such a neat structure. And um, a lot of people believe that Israel is going to end up fleeing to Petra when the abomination of the desolation comes. And there's even a a person who had such a strong belief on that, that he bought all these New Testaments and he spent all this time underlying passages specifically to introduce Jesus to the Jewish people and has hidden them throughout all these crevices in Petra. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I just Which is cool, you know. Yeah. And I hey, listen, if that if that's the way it goes down, I am that's that's good news. Yeah. That's good news. But and I'm not I'm not dissing on it. Oh no. And you know, I just I always think back to Jesus' first coming. We have prophecies. God gave Israel so many prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah. Um, you have prophecies like the government's going to rest on his shoulders mm-hmm. and he's going to be a literal leader and all this stuff. Well, they thought that was going to happen in the first coming mm-hmm. and they had a lot of scripture to back that up, Yeah, but it didn't happen that way. Well, and this is what I can say. And in my faith and in the, the, I guess, denomination that I grew up, they taught pre-trib and that's part of the reason why I believe it, you know, and, and in my studies in theology, I still find some verses that support that. And I've studied the other ones and I still wrestle with them like we should, Mm -hmm. but I appreciate your heart and and the heart that you present that, um, for a long time, you've said this multiple times on the, on the podcast that you used to be a prepper. Yeah. And now I see a step of faith in you going, I'm not going to necessarily lean into that. I know that you still have some of your stuff, but it's nowhere near like what you used to be. And I can say this from my heart, especially just looking at my family going, I believe that if God doesn't take us in a preacher rapture, that he's going to figure out a way to carry us through. Yeah. And I believe that that's your heart too. And not you going, well, I have to have so many cases of water, so many, yeah. you know. Well, and I, just to make something clear, I know I wasn't prepping for the trip. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's not what I was prepping no. for. <laughs> but if you ever were going to prep, that would be what... I would consider somebody was prepping for. Yeah, if I thought I was going through the wrath, you'd better believe I'm going to prep for that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's uh, it's not something I I die on a hill for. I just I know I trust that the Lord's going to see me through whatever He decides. The end times is going to actually be regardless of our interpretations of prophecy. Yeah, one thing I'm convinced of is I'm going to be a toilet paper prepper. Well, that's join the club because there's a lot of those out there. (laughs) That's great. Okay. Um, 
One last thing I'll say about this generational deal is that Pastor Corson, he uh, touched on this because a lot of people come back to that generation is 40 years and uh, that's why it was like 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. Yeah. Um, now scholars have said, well, what if a generation is 100 years? Yep. And so what if it's 2048? Or what if a year's a thousand years? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I just, and then Corson, in, in um, a commentary that I have, he goes, I believe that it is 100 years and I believe Jesus is going to come back before 2048. And the way that um, knowledge is increasing and the way that the the direction we're going um, in this polarization of the faith will get more faithful and the evil will get more evil, then I I think there's a there's I, I a don't doubt it. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt it. I yeah. could totally see that. Yeah, that I mean because we're seeing it. We're seeing it. But um, I one thing I just remembered. Uh, have you heard about the forty year gap? I kind of skipped over it earlier, but you just said forty years, so okay. it reminded me. Have you heard about the forty year gap? Um, it sounds familiar, but please. So there, I just throw this in there since it, it was slightly relevant to the discussion. Um. There's a belief that God gave a 40-year gap for the repentance and acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in order to save as many Jews possible during this never-before-never-again covenantal transition. Um, some believe that this is precisely what the author of Hebrews is referring to when writing in Hebrews 8.13, "...a new covenant he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear." And some believe that this is a 40-year gap after he died. And I, the way they present it, it's pretty compelling of of the timeline and, and how certain things um, line up prophetically down the line. Okay. But I didn't know if you'd ever heard that before. I, now that well, you say 40 years, and I, of course we reference so many things that are 40 years, but I don't think I have. Yeah, it's it, it was one train of thought I ran across, and that, it, the more I chewed on it, I was like, wow, that, that, maybe that has some credibility. It was, it was interesting. So. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, it was. So anyway... Hey, Snakebirds, this episode and discussion went way longer than we expected it to go, so we are going to pause the discussion here and pick it up in the next episode. But don't let that stop you from joining the conversation and giving us your thoughts on our Facebook page. We also ask for prayer requests or maybe a topic that you'd like to suggest that we can talk about. Any of those things, we really want to hear from you. That's right, guys. And don't forget, if the podcast is helping you out or someone you know, we would greatly appreciate if you would share us and give us a good rating or review. That helps push the podcast out there to more ears, which is more souls. So please do that if the Lord puts it on your heart. So spoiler alert, are we in the end times? Yes. Yeah. But we hope that you come back for the next one. Yeah. And always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus, especially today, and, and be a snake bird. thoughts on what I wrote. Sometimes I read something I wrote and I'm like, what the heck was I saying? Oh, dude. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, was I speaking English at this point? <laughs>